Several have asked about my father, and I just wanted to give an update. He is still in Barnes. It's been a long couple of weeks, and it looks like it might be some more. Um, but we appreciate your prayers so much. We feel, I feel, and Joe and I feel, my mom and all of our family feel the love and support of this community, and, and I give God thanks for you all. Uh, Pastor Sheila has... Um, Got a little bit of trouble in her family as well. I received a voicemail last night that her sister has been hospitalized, Sylvia, in St. Luke's. And so our, your pastors are asking for your prayers right now. Uh, it's a difficult time, and we're just uh, we're glad that we have a community of support and prayer with us. Will you pray with me? Holy and loving God, may the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart be acceptable to you, O oh God. Help me to get out of the way so that your love and your light might be proclaimed. Take all my stuff and just shove it away, O oh God. May I be your servant in this time and this place. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. For thine is the kingdom and the glory, the power and the glory forever and ever. And the church said what? Amen. Amen. As we conclude this sermon series, repeat after me, a series that we've been talking about the Lord's Prayer. Jesus said, pray this way. We've been taking each line of the Lord's Prayer and kind of really diving deeper into the meaning and understanding. And I don't know about you, but as we have said the Lord's Prayer as a community of faith over the last few weeks, those images, those understandings are beginning to flood my mind and my heart and soul as I lift that prayer with you as a community of faith. Our Father, Abba, Daddy, just that loving relationship. And then thy kingdom come, Asking God or inviting God to bring God's kingdom on earth right here and right now. Give us this day our daily bread. Asking God to provide what we need. Our, our daily nourishment, our daily strength, our daily courage, our daily grace. Forgive us our trespasses. Things and people come into my mind of, of I need to offer forgiveness or ask forgiveness from and so those images continue to to um, encourage me and then lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil those R's that we talked about last week remember that we are children of God recognize our actions rededicate ourselves to God reveal our inner struggles with those close confidence the, that safe place and to remove ourselves from the temptation. And now the concluding lines of the Lord's Prayer. For thine is the kingdom, say it with me, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This is the doxology. This is the time of thanks and praise. It is the Roll of drums, the clash of cymbals, which which the church concludes these beautiful words. I had a, a member of the congregation who asked me at the beginning of this series, so why didn't Jesus say thank you? Why didn't he teach us to say thank you? Well, this is it. 
This is our thanks and our praise. And now you may be surprised or you may already know that these words are not in the Gospels, are they? In Matthew 6 and in Luke 11, that's not recorded. Well, there's a reason why. The oldest scrolls of Matthew do record words of kingdom and power and glory, but they're found in the teaching. These teachings were compiled about 100 years after Jesus' earthly ministry. This is teaching number eight. Let not your fasts be with hypocrites, for they fast on Mondays and Thursdays, but do your fast on Wednesdays and Fridays. In other words, be a little different. And do not pray as the hypocrites, but as the Lord commanded in his gospel. Pray thus, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so also upon earth. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debt as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into trial, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the power and glory forever. And then it concludes with, pray thus three times a day. It provides us this majestic ending to a prayer that the church has been using ever since. Now, just because the gospel writer did not record it did not mean that Jesus did not give thanks and praise. You see, the custom of the time was to say a prayer and then to end that prayer in a personal conversation of thanks and praise with God. It was to set a seal or a stamp upon the prayer. Now, it would have been completely unthinkable in the time of Palestine when Jesus was there to end a prayer on temptation. And so Jesus knew that each one of the disciples would then lift their time of thanksgiving and praise as he would also give his thanksgiving and praise at the concluding of the prayer. Now, this loses translation for us, doesn't it? Because we don't know the custom and the times that that was recorded in. But as we read and we understand, we know that Jesus did give thanks and praise. Now, this, these words are recorded, obviously, by a scribe in those teachings in the uh, number eight of the teachings, and he did not get those words just by happenstance. He did not just pluck those words out of the air. Where did he get these words? He gets these words from King David, who had just finished assembling all the materials that would be needed for the temple to be built, and he knew that Solomon would be building that temple, and so King David lifts these words, to you, Lord, belong greatness and power, honor, splendor, and majesty, because everything in heaven and on earth belongs to you. How many times do we think we, it belongs to us? Yeah, we think it belongs to us, but time and time again, the scriptures say God is the God of heaven and earth, and everything belongs to God. Yours, Lord, is the kingship and you are honored as head of all. You are the source of wealth and honor, and you rule over all. In your hand are strength and might. It is in your power to magnify and strengthen all. And now, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. You hear this kingdom, power, glory. And so 
he comes by this part of the prayer, the, the scribe comes by this part of the teaching honestly. So we hear a lot of kingdom language in the scriptures that doesn't just come from bits and places. It comes from the prayers of the people as well. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. That's Psalm 103. And in 2 Kings, Hezekiah prays to the Lord using these words. Lord God of Israel, you sit enthroned on the winged creatures. You alone are God over the earth's kingdoms. You made both heaven and earth. For thine is the what church? Kingdom. Kingdom. This doxology of praise recognizes that God is in charge. Amen. That God is ruler over all that God reigns. The Bible speaks of this kingdom that is coming to the world. A kingdom yet to be realized fully. The prophet Isaiah says this, they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. Oh, how we hope for that. Amen, church? Amen. Oh, how we hope for that. Or the wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the kid and the calf and the young lion together and a little child shall lead them. A little child shall lead them. The prophet was speaking, of course, of the kingdom that would be fully realized and fully understood, ushered in by who? Jesus Christ. Because how does Jesus come into the world? As a little child, as a babe wrapped. And we know that Christ will come again, right church? That's the promise. That Christ will come again and there will come a time in which God shall reign in every heart. As the scripture comes to life, there will be no more war, there will be no more pain, there will be no more tears. This is the kingdom of Christ our Lord. It is a kingdom of this world as well as the world to come fully. God's kingdom will fully reign. And we know this because there's a spoiler in the Bible, right? If we go all the way to, back to Revelation, the spoiler is God wins. God wins. So we have that promise and we have that hope of a kingdom that is greater than any kingdom that can be found here on earth. For thine is the kingdom. And then for thine is the power. Thine is the kingdom and the power. Church, finish this scripture for me. God is love, right? That's one of the shortest scriptures we find. God is love. God is love. There's an awesome kind of power in the love of God. As we come to understand this powerful love, then we will understand this powerful love that will shape us and mold us and will help us to share this love in the world around us. This power of God's grace and love is, is an awesome power and it's, it's the only kind of power, church, that can transform lives only kind of power. It's like no other power. Paul tells us this in the letter to first, 
in the first letters to the church in Corinth, we hear these words most times at weddings. What love is, right? Love is patient. Love is kind. It isn't jealous. It doesn't brag. It isn't arrogant. It isn't rude. It doesn't seek its own advantage. It isn't irritable. Oh, how I need to hear that one today. It isn't irritable. It doesn't keep a record of complaints. It isn't happy with injustice. I need to hear these words. But it's happy with truth. Love puts up with all things, trusts in all things, hopes for all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Say that with me. Love never fails. Now, faith, hope, and love remain these three things, and the greatest of these is love, is love. Nothing is more powerful than the love of God demonstrated by God's people. Nothing is more powerful than that. For thine is the power. The power is seen at work in the unity of the church, in the reaching across barriers, in touching the untouchable, providing for those who hunger and thirst, in sharing our own bounty, in bridging the gap between cultures and races, in acts of kindness, acts of justice, acts of mercy. Church, there's no greater power than what? Love. Because God is love. God is love. Martin Luther King Jr. said this, Love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. Love is the only force capable of transformation. Therefore, if God is love, God's power is the only capable force of transforming and changing this world. But we have to lean into that love. We have to remember who we are. We have to hold on to the patience and kindness, keeping no record of wrong. We have to hope in the truth and know that love never fails. For thine is the kingdom and the power for thine is the glory forever. Now, obviously, the, the glory of God is much different than the glory of this world, right, church? Oh, my goodness. Glory in this world is fleeting. One minute you're up, the next minute you're down. Just look at the Astros, right? Right? I used to call them the Lastros. And here they are. World Series champs, one minute you're up, the next minute you're down. But this glory is fleeting. It's fleeting. God's glory is much different because it says, for how long? Forever. Forever. Most of the time when we read in the Bible about glory, it's ascribed to God. That true glory, therefore, is defined in that outward shining of God's inner being. George F. Handel contended, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed. Glory then is that revelation of God to the world. Again, the prayers of the people lift that up. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work, the works of his hand. 
Psalm 24, lift up your heads, you O gates, be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Psalm 26, I love the house where you live, O Lord, the place where your glory dwells. Now the New Testament writers, they understood this glory, this experience of God here on earth, that, that revelation of God in the person of who? Jesus Christ. The person of Jesus Christ and where Christ reigns, where Christ reigns in the world, God is glorified. And our saints are in glory. Today on this All Saints Sunday, we remember that they are experiencing the fullness of his glory. William Barclay, writer and theologian, says it this way, it was in their death that the great ones found their glory. I will never forget the last conversation I had with Art Svoboda. This was about a year and a half ago, and, and I visited him right before he made his transition to heaven. And he looked over at me with eyes bright that day, and he said, Pastor Terry, I've seen him. I've seen Jesus. I've seen him in all his glory. And he used those words. I've seen him in all his glory. And he says, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory for how long, church? Forever. Amen. Now, amen is one of those four-letter words you should use all the time. Amen. All the time. That's right. <laughs> it deserves to be used much more frequently in worship services. You know, in fact, that's that spirit nudging you when you feel that amen coming on. Don't be shy. Shout it out. Preachers love it. We love it. Don't we, Marvin? You bet. You bet. God wants you to participate in worship. God wants you to lift your praise and agreement and thanksgiving. You know, the book of Revelation tells us who the amen represents. The scripture says, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. So who is the amen? Jesus. That's who the amen is. In other words, Jesus Christ is our amen. And the Psalms tell us that we're to say it. Psalm 106 says, Bless the Lord, the God of Israel, from forever ago to forever from now. And let all the people say, Amen. If you ever wonder where I get that from, let the people say, Amen, it comes from the Psalms. It comes from Scripture. Jesus is our Amen. And we're to say it often so the world can hear us. So they can hear our doxology, our thanksgiving, and our praise. That they know we're in agreement in who our Lord and Savior is. You see, when we say in, amen, we're holding on to God. We're holding on to God with 
everything, all the power and all the excitement and love within us, we're holding on to him. One of the saints I remember today is Jeff Lowe. Back in 2005, he went to meet his glory. Just 14 months after he had been diagnosed with a malignant brain tumor. And I journeyed this dark valley with Jeff and Barb. And after Jeff's passing, Barb and I continued to encourage and love one another through that. She even came to Salem. Barb even came to Salem the first year that I was appointed here just to make sure that her pastor was in a good spot. She was, is a very dear person to me. And she once told me this, and I've never forgotten it. She said, there were years that I could not pray. The grief, the pain, I didn't know what to say to God, she said. So there were years that I could not pray, but I held on to you, she said, while you held on to God. I held on to you while you held on to God. How many times has someone held on to you while you're holding on to God? Every time we pray this great prayer, we hold on to God and the great truths of our faith. But here's the real miracle. It's not that we're holding on to God, but that God relentlessly and lovingly holds on to us. Even when we don't know what to say or we don't know how to turn, God is holding on to us. Amen. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. As we move into our time of communion, I, I want to share with you one last story. The, the San Francisco Chronicle wrote a letter, uh, wrote an article on a woman by the name of Linda who was a Metro Transit bus driver. Linda had that power of God's love in her. She would often see people along the sides who were struggling and pull the bus over and help someone with their grocery sacks or or she'd pull the bus over when she saw someone who looked a little lost. The Chronicle even tells a story about how she noticed that there was a young woman at the bus stop who looked a little lost. And so she got off the bus and introduced herself and wanted to know a little about her. She found out she was new to the area. True, she was lost. And invited <laughs> Linda invited her on into her home for Thanksgiving. She said, come on over and we'll kick it. Linda had become known for her love. And she said that she would begin her day at 2.30 a.m. when she would get on her knees and she would pray before her shift started. She said, there's a lot to talk about with God. At the end of her shift, the last person who left her bus, she'd say, that's it. I'm done. I love you. Now then, what bus driver have you ever had that's told you, I love you? Right? This is the power of God's love. 
When it's seen, it's powerful. When it's experienced, it's the kingdom and the power and the glory, church. So where can you find the kingdom? Maybe on bus 46 in San Francisco. Where can you find the power? In a metro transit bus, maybe. Where is the church? Where God's people are being the church. That's where the church is. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And let the church say, amen. Amen. Let's turn to page number 12 now in our book of hymns. And let's encourage each other. As God's presence is with us in this sacred act, in a way that nourishes and loves us, God never letting go of us.